Hello, my name is Josh Roan, and I'm lead pastor here at Zion Church, a United Methodist congregation in York, Pennsylvania. We're a church with a physical location, but we also have an online presence each and every weekend. But today, I want to thank you for joining us for our podcast, something that's a little bit different rather than the songs and the hymns and all those different things that are part of our regular weekend experiences. This is just the main scripture and the sermon, an opportunity for us maybe to hear again God's word, which we tuned into this weekend, or maybe an opportunity to hear it afresh and anew. So I would encourage you as the week begins to listen in and to lean in to what God is saying to you. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Say a brief prayer with me, please. Lord, thank you for all that you are, all that you uh, give us, all of your gifts, your joy, your mercy, your grace. Open our hearts and our minds to hear your words and to help us follow your plan every day. Uh, This morning I'm reading from Ecclesiastes uh, 4, numbers 9 through 12. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Oh, what love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And oh, what love we have been invited into. Oh, what love Christ has served as an example of. And today, in our second scripture lesson, we're going to be turning to the gospel of John, the 15th chapter. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 15. And I want to encourage you as I read just to hear this invitation that Christ is extending to us. This invitation extended to the first followers, but now to those of us who follow Christ right here, right now, with life and breath. So hear now the word of God. Jesus declares, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like the branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit, will la- fruit that will last, so your Father will give you whatever you ask of him in my name. The word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that indeed you would open our eyes that we would see today, that you would unclog our ears, that we might hear your voice more keenly. And Lord, that you would give us lives that are ready to take whatever you reveal to us and go live it out to the honor and glory of your name. Lord, teach us today what it is to abide in your love. Teach us what it is today to go and live and bear fruit fruit that will last that you speak of so father today accomplish your good pleasing and perfect work in us we ask and we pray and now lord i ask over these next few moments that you would either speak through me or i ask that you'd speak in spite of me but i pray that regardless your word would go forth and that we your people would be changed because of it it's in christ's name and to his honor and glory we ask all these things and together all god's people said Well, last week we started a new sermon series, a sermon series that's going to stretch out over the month of February. And it's a sermon series called Swipe Right, and we're looking at love and relationships, commitment and covenant, and we're trying to catch a glimpse of these things from a biblical perspective, from a perspective that brings honor and glory to God as we engage in these things in our lives. And this idea of swiping right, as we said last week, is based upon this thing that you can do on the touchscreen surface that you have, whether it's a smartphone or a tablet or whatever it might be. But you can swipe right oftentimes on a graphic and you can show your approval of that thing. Well, a lot of dating companies, as we said last week, have started to pick up on that. And you can now swipe right on an image or on a profile of someone that you're looking at and you can say, I like that person or I think that person's attractive or I'd like to meet them or maybe we could get together or we could begin a conversation and maybe things will turn romantic later on. And we talked about how that desire, that desire for approval, that desire for a relationship, that desire to connect with other people, it actually comes from God. It's part of how we've been wired. It's part of how we have been created because we are people who have been created in the image and the likeness of God. Deep down at the very core of who we are, we resemble God. And the God that we resemble, the God whose likeness that we bear, is one God in three persons, a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the three persons of this trinity exist in community. They exist in perfect relationship with one another. And so by nature, we are relational beings. We're people who want to be in relationship with God, and we're people who want to be in relationship with one another. 
Well, today we're going to take things a step further. Last week we talked about that desire to love and be loved, that longing that exists deep within inside of us, deep inside of us. But like I said, we're going to go a step further today and we're going to talk about how each and every one of us craves intimacy. But before we can get there, let's define intimacy this morning. I know it's a word that's out there, a word that maybe we vaguely have notions of, but let's define it this morning. And I'm going to start with a definition from the American Psychological Association, and this is how they define intimacy. All right, everyone take a deep breath in because this is going to take a while. This is a long definition. All right, definition of intimacy from the APA. An interpersonal state of extreme emotional closeness such that each party's personal space can be entered by any of the other parties without causing discomfort to that person. Intimacy characterizes close, familiar, and usually affectionate or loving personal relationships and requires the parties to have detailed knowledge or deep understanding of each other. Now you can breathe out. Like we said, it's a lengthy definition. It's a definition that's maybe a little bit cumbersome even for us to try and wrap our minds around as I read it very quickly there for us this morning. But it at least gives us a framework to begin to have this conversation this morning about intimacy. And we're going to actually take that definition and we're going to break it down into smaller, more succinct chunks that we can begin to digest and begin to talk about this morning So let's begin with his definition of intimacy. First of all, this definition says that intimacy is an interpersonal state of extreme emotional closeness. Closeness to the degree that one person can enter another person's personal space without causing discomfort. Now, that's a powerful definition just right there. And Solomon... King Solomon, the wisest person we're told that ever lived, he addressed this very thing in the book of Ecclesiastes in that passage that Karen read for us just a short while ago. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature in Scripture. It's part of wisdom literature, and in this wisdom literature, Solomon, the author, reflects on life. And in particular, he reflects on life and its joys and its pleasures, its challenges, but also its frustrations and difficulties. And in and throughout that whole processing thing that he's doing, he's attempting to discern and to determine life's ultimate meaning or purpose, why God has put us here. And so in the context of that conversation, it's not surprising that in the pages of this wisdom book, Solomon would talk about relationships, the very things that we're talking about here during the month of February. And in particular, it's not surprising that he would talk about our deep-seated desire as human beings to love and be loved, to know someone else and to be known by someone else. But it's equally not surprising that he would go on a step further, just as we're going to do this morning, and that he would contemplate intimacy and its value and importance in our lives. The importance that going deep and having this extreme emotional closeness with someone has for our life and for our existence. So I would encourage you to listen again to what Solomon says there. 
He says this in the fourth chapter. He says, two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if, they, for if they fall, one will lift the other up. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two can withstand one. And then he goes on to say, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You see, Solomon envisions a relationship. A relationship where two people know each other so much that they become intertwined and enmeshed together. A relationship where one person knows the other and is known by the other person. Where all the masks have been stripped away. He envisions a relationship where one person loves the other and is loved fully and completely by the other. A relationship in which the lives are so intertwined and so enmeshed that they have no real personal space that they need to keep separated from the other. No, instead they can kind of come and go in and through each other's lives freely. But what I love about what Solomon says is they don't just come and go through one another's lives. They just don't know and are known by one another. They don't just love and are loved by one another. No, they benefit together from this relationship. He says both of these people working together, they benefit each other in this relationship. And together, they also benefit. So they benefit as individuals, but they also benefit as a couple And they benefit to the degree and to the extent that both end up being rewarded for their toil, for the effort, for the time and the energy that they put in to this relationship. It's a relationship that's so intertwined that if one person falls down, the immediate response of the other is not to laugh and point fingers and say, oh, you're such a klutz. No, they reach down, they extend a helping hand, and they assist the other to their feet. There's no embarrassment. That other person's vulnerability doesn't become an opportunity for a joke. It doesn't become an opportunity to exploit them. No, it becomes an opportunity for them to grow together, to help one another. For the one who is on their feet to help the other to their feet. No questions asked, no animosity, no embarrassment in that relationship. Love taking the form of a helping hand. As I thought about that this week, as I thought about what Solomon was saying, a 1993 essay from the New York Times Book Review came to mind. It was written by a South African poet by the name of Breton Brettenbach. And there in that article, in that essay, he wrote, He who travels alone travels fastest, but in the company of friends, you go farther. Now, you've probably heard something similar. Maybe you've even seen a poster like that as one of those inspirational quotes in the doctor's office as you're there in the waiting room. But there's a popular adaptation that I'm sure you've heard, and it goes this way. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. 
You see, each and every one of us, we crave intimacy. We need intimacy in our lives. And intimacy is so strong that each of us becomes dependent on someone else for our success, for the ability to go further, for the ability to advance and to move ahead. We need someone who when the nights grow cold will keep us warm. We need someone who's going to help us stay alive and thrive. But it takes vulnerability for that to happen. And that vulnerability, as Solomon says, it can be life-giving. It can be life-sustaining. It can result in assistance and help that goes the extra mile, that helps us achieve things that we never could on our own. But here's the thing that I love about what Solomon says. Two people who have that kind of intimacy, two people who have that kind of relationship are incredibly strong. They're going to make one another better. They're going to go further. They're going to advance in ways never possible otherwise. But he goes on to say, there's something even more powerful than that couple or than those two people who have that intimate bond of friendship. He says it is the cord of three strands that's not easily broken. It's that cord of three strands that can't be pulled apart, that can't be separated, that can't be undone. And you see that other cord that he's talking about is our vertical relationship. Not just those deep friendships or those intimate romantic relationships, but no, a relationship with God the Father through God the Son with the help of God the Holy Spirit. And when that cord, when that strand is thrown into that mix, that intimate dynamic, that intimate relationship becomes all the stronger and all the more powerful. Friends, truly we crave intimacy. Truly we need intimacy to thrive. Intimacy with God and intimacy with others. But the definition doesn't stop there. The definition continues, intimacy characterizes close, familiar, and usually affectionate or loving personal relationships, and it requires the parties to have a detailed knowledge or a deep understanding of each other. Boy, when I thought about this week, I went down a rabbit trail. There was this song whose lyrics just kept playing through my mind, and you probably won't be able to guess it until I say it, but the song is Somebody to Love. And it was made famous by the band Jefferson Airplane. It ranks number 274 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. And you know what? I'm used to hearing the Jefferson Airplane version. But I didn't find out until just the other week that it wasn't Jefferson Airplane who really wrote that song. Although they made it famous, it was written by a gentleman by the name of Darby Slick. And Darby Slick, he never played for Jefferson Airplane. His sister was a part of the band. He played for a band known as the Great Society. And he wrote this song, Somebody to Love, after his girlfriend broke up with him. It was the mid-1960s. It was San Francisco that he called home. And as you can imagine, there were some things going on in the counterculture in San Francisco in the 60s. There was something going on, something taking place called the free love movement. 
And according to an interview that Darby later gave, he said he found a downside to that ethos. He found a downside to that countercultural movement that was taking place. He said it could easily lead to jealousy and disconnect. And for that reason, he wrote a song that champions loyalty, a song that champions monogamy. As he employs his hearers to find that one true love. That deep, intimate, emotional closeness that will nurture us and get us through the tough times. Think about those words. When the truth is found to be lies. So all that he was being told, all that this movement was saying, he found not to be true. And all the joy within you dies. Don't you want somebody to love? Don't you need somebody to love? Wouldn't you love somebody to love? You better find somebody to love. Love, love. See, Darby was on to something. Intimacy doesn't happen in a moment. It doesn't happen in an instant. Intimacy takes time. It involves a choice, a decision on our part to become vulnerable, to let someone else into our lives, to let them know us deeply in ways that maybe no one else has ever known us. And it also requires a decision by someone else to let us in. To let us see them as they truly are. When we're known like that, when someone else knows us like that, though it's risky and it can be messy. For that reason, that's why Scripture talks about forgiveness a lot in those type of relationships. Because we can hurt one another. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Those kind of relationships, they don't just involve vulnerability, they involve trust. They involve us trusting someone with deeply personal things about ourselves. Disclosing things to someone else that we don't just go around sharing with everyone else and putting up on Facebook. And that leads to the final point this morning. Intimacy exists on two planes the horizontal plane, the one that has to do with our human relationships, our deep friendships that matter so much, and those romantic, loving relationships that we have. But it also involves a vertical element. And oftentimes, this is where our relationships get derailed. Oftentimes, this is where our relationships end up going off in weird directions and someone ends up being hurt or we end up frustrated. As we've said, intimacy requires vulnerability. And vulnerability means we need to let our guard down, right? We need to let our guard down so that someone can see us for who we are. And that means taking off many of the masks that we often wear. It means exposing parts of ourselves that usually we keep hidden. It means setting aside those personas that we often create to protect ourselves. 
And when we do that, when we do that, we open ourselves up to someone else. We open ourselves up also to the possibility of intimacy. But we also open ourselves up to the opportunity to be hurt. Because people can take the vulnerability that we have. They can take, when our guard comes down, those things that we've shared and they can throw them back in our face. They can use those things to hurt us. They can toss out a well-placed word as an argument's taking place and that word they know will trigger us. It'll bring up a litany of hurts and pains, memories from years gone by. The wounds will be real again. Or it may be a comment that's intentionally made. One that's intended to dredge up those memories because we just want to hurt one another. And it piles hurt upon hurt. It can make us feel worthless. It can make us feel minimized. It can make us feel devalued. So sometimes instead of growing and fostering intimacy, our vulnerability can be turned against us in such a way that it wounds us. And we can be wounded deeply by someone that we love and care about. For that reason, we need to be careful. We need to be judicious. We need to be wise in whom we develop those deep relationships with. We need to be careful who we select to have as those deep friends in life and how much we disclose. We need to be careful as we enter into loving relationships that we just don't dump everything on someone else. But that we walk with one another in grace, in mercy, and with love. You see, intimacy, it's not for everyone. No, it's for the select few. We can't be intimate in all of our friendships to the same degree. We can't be intimate in all of our relationships to the same level. No, the most intimate friendships, the most intimate relationships are reserved for the select few. Those who have proven to be trustworthy. Those who have proven to be true friends. But here's the other thing we need to hear. Often before we even set out to establish these friendships, often before we even set out to establish these loving relationships, there's another direction that our intimacy needs to look. Another direction that our craving for intimacy needs to go. Another type of intimate relationship that we've been created and have been called for. Listen to what Jesus said again in John 15. He said, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Friends, as we noted last week, we have been created to be relational beings. We've been created to be loved and to love. To love and to be loved both by God and by others. But here's something that we miss oftentimes about our relational wiring. Here's something we miss about the way that God has hardwired us. 
often we go off and pursue other deep friendships or other romantic relationships. And we put a primacy on them. We treat them like they're the most important relationship in all the world. And it's not to say that they're not important, that they don't matter, because they do matter immensely. That's why we're talking about it this morning. But they are secondary. Those deep friendships, those deep romantic relationships, they're not the primary thing that we've been created for. They're the secondary relationship. Scripture says very clearly we have been created first and foremost for a relationship with God. A relationship with God the Father through God the Son by the testimony of God the Holy Spirit. And last week as we gathered around the communion table, that's what we remember, the lengths to which God has gone to show that love and invite us into that love and life that He has for us. He loved us so much that He gave everything including His one and only Son for us. And I think what we need to be reminded about and what we need to hear about that love today is this. God didn't love us because we were good enough. Right? We didn't all of a sudden have to come up to God, take our mask off, and God's all of a sudden surprised because we've sinned and we've fallen short of His glory. No, Scripture's clear from the very beginning. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glory. God doesn't love us because we're good enough. In fact, just the opposite. Paul says in Romans 5.8 that God loved us while we were still sinners. Here's the other wild thing. God doesn't love us because we have our acts totally together and because from the outside looking in, we have the perfect life. Again, just the opposite. According to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, our righteousness, our rightness in relationship both with God and others is as filthy rags. This is garbage. This is rubbish. We aren't perfect. We don't have it all together. And that's the other incredible thing about God's love. He doesn't love us because we lack or because we don't lack anything. In fact, just the opposite. He loves us in our weakness, and in our weakness, His strength is shown to be more than perfect. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But here's the thing, although God knows our weakness, although He's aware of the sins that we've committed, although He is totally aware of the wrongs that we've done both to Him and to other people, He doesn't throw those things back in our face. He doesn't take advantage of our vulnerability. Instead, He gives to us His unmerited, undeserved favor. He extends to us His grace. And as Paul will also say in that 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians, His grace is more than sufficient. It's more than what we need. But it's not because we're good enough. It's not because we're deserving enough. It's not because we have our act together. Because He's made that decision. And because God loves us, He has invited us into His love as 
as Jesus says in John 15, he has invited us to abide in his love. And I love that Greek word there because it has different dimensions and nuances. To abide in his love is to remain in his love. To not go to the right or to the left, not to veer off in search of love elsewhere, but no, it's to stay right there rooted in his love. And it's to continue in his love. Not to fear that we're ever going to outrun it or that we're ever going to run out of it, but to continue in it. To continue to be present in his love. The amazing thing is God knows us. He knows us with the mask removed. He knows all of our dark secrets. He knows the hairs on our head or maybe even the lack thereof. And he continues to love us. God knows us intimately in ways that no one else ever has or ever will. And he persists in his love for us. And as people who know him and are known by him, as people who have experienced his love, as people who know that his love will never fail, God invites us to begin to live in and to live out of his love. To organize our lives around his will and his way. To obey his commandments, he says there. Not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but because we trust and we know that his commands are going to lead to richer lives on our behalf, better lives, better relationships. Keep my commands, Jesus says. Keep my commands just as I've kept the Father's commands. He invites us to organize our lives around God's desire, around God's will and way. Friends, we are people who have been created for relationship. We are people who long to love and be loved. We crave intimacy. We want to be known entirely. We want to be known completely. We don't want to have to pretend or posture. We don't want to have to put on masks. We long for closeness. To know and to be known. To appreciate and to be appreciated. And in our search, in that quest that we have for intimacy, we have been invited into loving relationship with God. And with God's help, with God's assistance, with the direction of the Holy Spirit, we can begin to discern and identify those whom we can be intimate with in life. Whether that means developing deep, lasting friendships with someone who's going to help us and encourage us and challenge us and spur us on to new heights in the faith. Or whether it's finding that lifelong committed spouse. But remember this. Remember this if you don't remember anything else from today. It is the cord of three strands. It's not easily broken. So as you are seeking and as you are searching for relationship whether it's a deep friendship, whether it's romantic love, don't leave God out of what's going on. Don't treat him as an afterthought. Instead, start there and the rest will follow.
To God be the glory in our lives and in his church, both now and forever. Amen.